I love that. I love that God. I've been around Riverside since 2008, and I've seen her a lot of times, and I never once knew that. Um, I, I want you to know there's great power in sharing your story. Hey, there, there's, there's something formative for you as an individual. When you articulate and you put into words your belief, it shapes and it forms you. But more than that, it shapes and forms other people. I can't tell you, my heart is fluttering. Beat. I'm like, I'm ready to change the sermon because I heard that. And I heard it in the first service. It's the second time. But like something inside of me just moves to hear the way that God has worked in someone's life. Um, what she shared is what I call a testament. It's your testimony in three minutes or less. A minute on life before life with Jesus. A minute on what happened that caused you to fall in love with Jesus and go, yep, I want Jesus to be the boss of my life. And a minute on life afterwards. And when you can share your testament in three minutes or less, you can share it anywhere. You can grow and reinforce your faith, encourage others, right? Uh, but here's something crazy that happens is if you can tell it in three minutes, then you can tell it in nine minutes. If you can tell it in nine minutes, you can tell it in 20 minutes. And if you can do that, you can preach and you can get my ugly face off the stage and you can get up and encourage somebody. I don't want to intimidate you, but listen to me. Um, your story matters. And your story can be encouraging for those around you that you would never even think, you would think they don't want anything to, to say to me. Listen to me. There are things that I can say that I can do that you can't. But also as important as there are things that you can do, people that you can speak to that will never listen to me. But when they hear your story, they go, you mean, what you mean to tell me that the God of the universe can love me like that? Not because the preacher stood up and said it, but because you shared your story on an airplane, space apart with COVID, or at the loft, or at work, or in a phone call. You see, that's the power of testimony. And one of the great things um, that Michelle and the outreach team here at the church are doing um, is after the service today, they are having just a little workshop, just an encouragement session uh, to help you uh, put words to your story. And so if you've never done that, I would encourage you to stick around after service today and, and head over, uh, over to uh, the student ministry area and meet with her. And she would love to help you, give you some resources to help you put your story together. Uh, and then I hope that you'll take a little selfie video and share your story, just like Christy did, that it could be an encouragement uh, to the whole community. So after service today, get with Michelle. And if you can't make it today, then reach out to the church, to the website or however, and ask for a time where she can meet with you one-on-one -on -one at the loft, scan, get a free coffee and a free treat. It's gonna be a great day. Open Tuesdays to Saturdays, two to like 12, seven to two, something like that. So anyways, I hope that you'll do that uh, this morning. Well, friends, for those of you that I don't know, my name is Stephen Mackey, and I'm excited to get to encourage you uh, this morning. We're continuing in our series called Family Matters, um, because we believe that to God, um, and uh, therefore here at Riverside, that family matters. That the relationships that we have with our children, with our siblings, with our spouse, that those are relationships that matter. And how we spend and how we uh, steward those relationships is an act of worship. And it's something that matters to God. We also believe that our relationships with people who aren't our blood family matters. 
that we believe, kind of like Jesus says, that whoever is in front of you is your neighbor, not just the one that lives to the right or the left. We believe that anyone for whom we are willing to say, forget about me, I love you, that they are your family. And that we believe that family matters. And last week, if you remember, we talked about what we would do when we get wronged. There's going to be a time where those in our family, the blood, at work, where we're going to be wronged. And when that happens, family matters. And we talked about how we would forgive and we would love. We wouldn't, for, we wouldn't cancel and we would be for them because God was for us. And do you remember, I challenged you last week. Here's the test time. I challenged you to memorize 1 John 4 and 19. Do you remember, did anybody do it? We love because he first loved us. And because of that, we can say, forget about me. I love you. I'm just following the way of Jesus. That means I'm going to die to self to find life. And I'm going to go and love you so that you can have it. And this week, I told you last week I'm not a prophet, but I could tell you that somebody was going to wrong you. Well, this week, we're going to keep going. I'm still not a prophet, but I can promise you this week, you're going to get busy. That this week you're going to find yourself at a point where you go, I just don't have much time. Where you're going to feel hurried and rushed. Has anybody, show of hands, can we just be in this together? Has anybody, when somebody comes up to you and asks, how are you? Have any of you ever responded, I'm so busy. Anybody been there? Is it just me? Are we in this together? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. We don't want to lie at church or anywhere else for that matter. But thank you. Right that we find ourselves going, I'm just so busy. Man, I'm so busy, I don't have time to tuck my baby girl in. I got to rush through it so I can get back to my typing on my iPad. I'm just so busy, I don't have time to be generous to people at work. They need to do their job because I'm doing my job and I, I don't want to be held back because they didn't handle their business. I don't have time to be generous with them. We find ourselves going, I don't have time to have real conversation with my spouse. We're just the logistics of the kid. All of our conversations, they're about what kid is going where and who's taking who when and did we pack lunches and are we out of milk? How are we out of milk again? We literally just bought $27 worth of milk and we're already out of it again. This kid is a bottomless pit and he's only nine. Like which is all of the things that we don't have time to have conversations with our spouse. We get so busy, don't we? Gosh, we get so busy that we as Americans, 2018, we, didn't, we had so little time. We watched 52 billion minutes of office reruns on Netflix. I'm telling you, we get busy, don't we? <laughs> that same year, we were so busy, we watched 437 billion minutes of football. <sighs> Come on. But you know, if the Browns had the season that they had this year, you want to watch that. I, we got some real Browns fans here, y'all, and I just want you, no bandwagon. They're, they're the real dog pound. I'm proud of you. Sorry it came out short. But listen, they have a season like that. We're going to watch some football. In February 2008, there was the Olympics and there was the Super Bowl. In that one month, watch 137 billion hours of, of minutes of sports. We're so busy, aren't we? Yeah, we're so busy and we're so hurried and we're so rushed that we don't have time for the things that matter most. We just have time for stuff that doesn't matter. And friends, I want to encourage us today in a world that desperately wants to know what matters most. We don't need more time to focus on the right things. We just need to slow down and simplify our lives around what actually matters instead of centering it around a bunch of stuff that doesn't.
you know, to, 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 to be about family, to believe that forget about me, I love you, to believe that you, because you're in front of me, matters. I can't be hurried. I can't be rushed and serve you, right? I can't sacrificially serve in a hurry, right? Because then the only one that's sacrificing is you because you're not getting what God has called me to give to you. To serve, we must slow down. To say, forget about me, I love you, we must be willing to pump the brakes and be a little less busy and rushed. Because when we're rushed and hurried, we end up saying, forget about you. I don't have enough time. I love me. As the people of the way of Jesus, we must offer something different. We must live different. Let's live in a way that says, you know what? Family really matters. And so this morning, I want to give us three encouragements. You can think of them as, as bumpers, like on a bowling, a bowling lane, right? You, you remember we used to go bowling back before COVID. And like, if you were a baller, right, you could go, you didn't need the bumpers and you can make the little ball, do the little turns and all this. And then there are the rest of us. I can make the ball turn. I just bounce it off the things and it does these all the way out. If I'm lucky, I get a strike, right? This is what I'm hoping is that this morning would be some bumpers, some encouragement as we head into a week where we are tempted to be busy and rushed and hurried. Number one, I hope you'll write this down, that when we are busied and rushed and hurried, that we would remember that family is more slow than fast. It's more slow than fast. Now, I've got four kids. Harrison, he's eight. Jane, she's six. Porter's three. And Jack is one. And uh, they all did it when they were young. But right now, like Porter's in this stage where he does this thing, and Jack too, uh, where they do this thing is, where uh, it's called not sleeping. I don't know if you remember or if you've experienced it. Uh, but it's this deal where they are awake all, all night and they sleep all day. It's like they have it backwards. And it's super not cute. And anyways, but they do it like it is. And so uh, they'll do this deal where like nine o'clock in the morning, they're ready to take a nap. Nap. You know, the nap for a good three, four, five hours, you know? And by the time we get tonight, they'll fall asleep about 8.39 and they trick us. And every night we fall for it. Like every night we think, yep, this is going to be the night. Like we did something a little bit different. We gave them the hot milk, right? They didn't take a nap in the afternoon. We stood on one foot with our head, like the antenna, like back in the day. Like we did the thing and we buy the lie every week that they're actually going to sleep. And then about 1.30 in the morning rolls around. And old boy is just awake. He's ready to go run a marathon. He's trying to braid the beard, right? He's just, he's just ready to do his thing, right? He's up all night. And then finally, like when we just got about 4.30, he'll fall asleep. We we're like, whoo. And then 5.15, he's up and ready to start the day. And so anyways, this is still, I don't know if you remember. I, I know there's like some PTSD on that, but it's like, it's a thing that happens. And what I've noticed uh, is that when Porter wakes up uh, and he's like super cute and he's like, he's like a little mini me kind of chunky and super cute. And anyways, and so uh, he'll wake up and immediately upon waking, he is like hangry, like belligerently hangry for breakfast. No idea where he gets it from, but he is super jacked about breakfast. And so like he comes in and from the moment his feet hit the ground, he is thinking about one thing and one thing only. And that is breakfast number one of four. And so he, again, I don't know where he gets it from. And so he is all about it. And I've learned in fatherhood, uh, because I want to be a good dad. I've learned that if I will beat him to the punch, that when I hear him stirring and rustling because he sleeps with his little uh, like Lego bots, the Transformers, so I hear him moving around. So if I can beat him to the punch, then I can get breakfast ready before he gets hangry and I can have it for him. He won't wake everybody else up, right? And I'll admit, some nights I'm better at it than others, right? Some nights, 
I'm going to be honest with you, right? I'm like, I'm kind of nudging my wife. I'm like, yo, forget about you. I love me some sleep. Yo, like you need to go handle this kid this morning. But on my best days, I jump out of bed, right? I get down there early. I make them some oatmeal up in the microwave. I don't do anything fancy. I put some honey on it, maybe some blueberries or something. And, and, and then I beat him to it. And one morning I saw him, he's eating his breakfast. And I didn't fall back asleep when he was eating it. And he sat there at the table. The table was too high. So he put his blankie across his lap and he brought it down to his plate. And he was just eating. You ever watch kids eat, man? Like, it's so cute. He was just like looking at it as it was going into his mouth. He's like, mmm, I'm gonna eat you. You know, and he's just like having him a moment, right, as he's eating this. And I'm thinking like, there's nothing fancy. I put the pumpkin seeds, no chia seeds or flax seeds or any of that, right? It's just some, it's some honey and some microwavable oatmeal. But in that moment, he was so intentional as he looked at it because he saw like, wait a minute, like 30 seconds ago, I was hangry. And then I got a bite of this and like everything in me is totally different. He slowed down long enough to enjoy something simple and it made a big difference for him. And you see, friends, I think the same thing is true for me and you. So often in life, we are in such a rush. We are going so very fast that we miss what God is doing all around us. That we need God to do some really big, I've never seen it before, the bar gets raised higher and higher to impress me, God, this type thing, because we're going so fast. When if we would just slow down, like we would pause and we would look at a leaf on an oak tree and we would realize there is more complexity in that one leaf. There's enough complexity to like stump the Valley Victorian of any great school just in that one little leaf. I failed lots of biology tests over one little leaf. So much complexity in it. And yet that's here today and gone tomorrow. Then we realize, wait a minute, God is all around us. Can I tell you, it's really hard to be thankful when we're fast. It's really hard to see what God is doing all around us when we're fast. It's hard to say, forget about me, I love you, when we're fast. Because when we're fast, we, 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 are, we have scarcity. But when we slow, we see the abundance of God all around us. When we're slow, we can be intentional about where we put our attention. But when we're fast, it's always to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. I'm going to tell you this, and this is true as I stand here. The biggest business in all of the world today is the attention business. That everything that we, our phones, the shows that we watch, commercials, it's all about grabbing our attention. John Mark Comer pointed out that where we put our attention is where is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And wherever we put our attention, that's what we're going to be devoted to. Think of, think of this. The CEO of Netflix was asked, what's your biggest competition? Is it Apple TV, Amazon Prime, another streaming service? What's the biggest competition that you have? And he said, our competition is not another streaming service. He said, our competition is sleep. He said, as long as you are awake, I can get your attention. The moment you sleep, I can't. So that's our, we live in an attention business. It's the beginning of devotion. Here's what Jesus said. In Matthew 6, reading from the message, he says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moth and corroded by rust, or even worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. Isn't it obvious the place where your treasure is, 
is the place you most want to be and end up being. You see, our greatest treasure is our time. And where we put our attention, we put our time. Where we put our time, that's where our treasure is. And when we're so fast, fast, fast to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our everything goes there. But when we can slow down and go, wait a minute, I forget about me. God, I love you. So I'm going to be slow enough to see where you're at, God. I'm going to be slow to ask what's going on. I'm going to be slow enough to serve somebody. I'm going to be slow enough to know somebody. I'm not just going to rush through. Hey, how are you? Great to see you. Good Sunday morning. Whew, I almost had to have a conversation at church. Whew, that would have been awkward, right? At least we're in COVID and I can blame the whole COVID thing. Hey, keep your space. Uh, I, you know, I didn't want to talk to you before COVID, but now I at least have an excuse, right? None of y'all do that. Anyways, and so that we would slow down enough to know and be known by one another. We would slow down enough to not rush through a verse a day to keep the devil away and our time with God. That we would slow down enough to be with him. Oh man, things change. But I'm gonna tell you, there's real consequences if we don't. There are real consequences if we live fast, fast, fast. Here's what happens. James, the brother of Jesus, in chapter four of his letter, he writes this, talking about those who are so fast, those whose attention goes to tomorrow and skips over today. He says, now I have a word for you who brashly announced today or at the latest tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such city for a year and we're going to go start a business and we're going to make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog, catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, then we'll do this or that. Just as it is, you are full of your grandiose selves. All of such vaunting self-importance is evil. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. Here's the point is that when we get so caught up in tomorrow, in the next thing, we miss the fact that all that we are guaranteed is right here, right now. And that, God, that in God's economy, this moment is enough. Then when we start believing that we can get to tomorrow and dictate what happens tomorrow, we start believing that we are just a little bit more important than God. And that's when we get to a place where we go, you know what, God, I don't need your plans. God, I don't need your timing. I'm going to work on mine. And then we hold it against God when he doesn't work on our timing, right? Anybody ever been there? You get angry because God didn't work on your time, right? I'm going to tell you, that's why it's so important that we have a multi-generational church. It's important we have a multi-generational church so that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have lived a little bit longer, who've experienced God's timing a little bit more than we have, so that they can say, hey, look, God's not falling asleep on the job, right? It's just you're operating on your time and not God's time, right? I know this brother, his name's Bill Gerke, brother about 75, 83 years old, been walking with Jesus for a minute. And one day I went, I was, I was at church and he walked up. He said, he said, Mac, how you doing? And I said, brother Bill, I'm gonna be honest with you. My seven-year-old, one of the two of us ain't gonna live to see eight. At the pace he's going, one of us ain't gonna make it. And he said, Mac, so you're telling me that your boy is just doing his job. 
I said, Bill, what are you talking about? His job is to do what I tell him to do. That is his job. He said, no, 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 Mac. He said, a, eight, a seven-year-old's job is to drive dad crazy. He said, that way, dad can learn how to really love. That way, he can learn that a father's love never gives up. See, he's just doing his job. Hang in there, dad, you're doing great. About a month later, I see him, he, Bill goes, Mac, how's our boy doing? I said, Bill, he's employee of the month. <laughs> he's at work. He's making it happen. He said, don't give up. Keep it going. Listen, we need that to remind us so that we can slow down. Because I'm trying to rush to get my boy to where he is just blue collar, uh, 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 blue ribbon, five star. I'm trying to make him act like he's 35 when he's eight. He reminds us we need to slow down and center our lives around what matters most. Let me tell you, if I would have talked to Colton, my best friend, same age as me, right? He wouldn't have said, hey, man, you're doing great. Just hang in there, employee. He would have like, hey, man, just don't do something that's going to get you arrested, all right? Like, I don't know if I, because look, my kids, they're getting me, right? And if we're both in jail, ain't nobody going to bail us out, right? So we just got to hang in there. We need people who have different perspectives that remind us that God is never late. He's always on time, and his time is just a little different than ours. And that that is okay. I want you to hear this. We must learn to be slow. Because if the evil one can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. He'll make you fast. And being fast and busy and sinfulness, they have the same effect. They disconnect us from a relationship with God, a relationship with others. And so this week, as you walk into the week and you're tempted to go, how are you? I'm busy. I'm in a hurry. I'm rushed. I want to remind you, forget about me. I love you. What matters is a little bit more slow than it is fast. You go, Mac, how can I live this out? I know I'm going to get there. I can see it already. What do I do? When you get there, I want you to ask this question. Is what I'm doing, is this situation, the thing I'm trying to rush, is it serving or stealing from what matters most? As you find yourself doing things this week, is this serving what matters most or is it stealing from it? Remember, we don't need more time. We just need to slow down to center our lives around what matters most. All right? So you find yourself, you're so rushed to get back to work that you rush through tucking in your baby girl. Right? Is that work serving or stealing from what matters most. When someone calls you, they didn't have the courtesy to text you first. They just call you, interrupting your space. And you go, man, I, if I answer this phone, we're going to have to have a real conversation. Like I can't just, like text message, I can kind of get through. But I, they called me. If I answer this, oh, I don't have enough time to have a real conversation. Is that, is that lure? Is it stealing from or serving what matters most? It'll be a good guide to help you figure out how to be a little bit more slow than fast. Encouragement number two. As we get to a place, we start feeling rushed and hurried and busy. We'll remind us that family is more about presence than presence. It's a little bit more about presence than it is about presence. 
presents. We've just come out of Christmas, right? One month and a day ago, we celebrated Christmas, right? And we had the big to-do and the Christmas lights and all of the things, and it was a big day, right? And I can tell you right now, just as a father, again, I'm being open with you right now. I'm doing my best to raise my kids up in Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, my kids already have three different versions of their Christmas list for 2021. They've already been working on it, right? And listen, it's, it's the way it is, right? And they're like, look, I know, Dad, we get presents to remind us of Jesus is the greatest gift and all of this, but I just saw this new thing and this really ought to go on the Christmas list, okay? I want you to get, and listen to me, grandparents, you're not helping, all right? Because y'all are out there dropping, spending all this stuff. Y'all are buying them 4,000-piece Lego sets. Y'all, they're going to use three of those Legos, okay? And the other 3,997 of them are going to be scattered all across the floor so that I can step on them when I'm trying to get my kid oatmeal at four in the morning, all right? I get, we're all there, okay? Uh, but somehow, right, um, we make that switch with God. I mean, God, I know that you love me. I know you want to be in a relationship with me. But listen, God, here's what I need you to do. Because <laughs> like, like, I'm in a spot right now, and I could really use a hand. He's like, no, you, you're missing it. It's not that I come and save the day. It's not what I give you. It's, it's that I'm with you. That my presence is much more important than my presence. And make no mistake, God is a good dad. And he's going to give so much to you. He gives you love. He gives you goodness and faithfulness. And he gives you breath in your lungs and strength in your body to go into work and to serve and to do. God gives you so much. James 1 and 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. God is a good dad. But more important than what he gives is that he's with you. Right? Have you ever brought a present home to your kids? Right? And you could have all of this intention behind it, right? You flew on an airplane and you got the little model from the magazine of the airplane that you flew on and you bring it home to the kids, right? And they're excited about it. And you know why? It's not because it's a cool toy, right? Like they had it in the back next to like the miniature Cokes. It's not fancy, right? The reason they get excited about it is because you brought it to them. That you're home and you brought something with you. But it's your home first. See, that's the way it needs to be with God. That when we slow down enough, we go, forget about me and what I want. God, I love you. I love being around you. It allows me to see God's presence all around me. Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says this. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings, that you would care for us. The psalmist captures this perfectly, that he would see that God is named, placed, and numbered every single star in the sky, and he still cares to know about you. The, the scientists, they're having to come up with all kinds of new numbers and calculations and ways to figure out the number of stars and galaxies in the universe, and God placed all of that, and he still takes time and is interested in you. I want you to know that God's presence is so much more better than his presence. Than what he gives, what happens when we get slow, we begin to see that God is everywhere. Not just in the compartmentalized boxes that we expect him to be, 
but he's in all kinds of weird, like he's in the H-E-B line when somebody cuts in front of you and you know and they know and the checker knows that, and the, and the enchilada guy knows that they have more than 15 things in the cart as they're going through the short 15 or less. I, and yet God is right there in that moment too. That God is in traffic as you're trying to guess which lane is gonna move the fastest. I always guess wrong. Anybody else? Oh, no matter where I put the rig, boy, I'm in the wrong lane. That God is at work when your boss just doesn't get it. God is at work when your boss gets it and you don't. That God is everywhere. And when we slow down, we begin to see it. Let me give you a practice that will help you pump the brakes and begin to see God everywhere you go. It's as simple as creating a gratitude journal. Every day, you write down three things that you're thankful for. And each day, let it be new things. No repeats, all right? We gotta get creative. And here's what's gonna happen. I can almost guarantee it. Same thing will happen for you that happened for my buddy Luke. Is that as he began writing down, he's over 2,000 things deep. He's been at it for a minute. They said, the first six to 700 things that I wrote down were all low-hanging fruit. And most of it was the stuff in my life. He's like, I was thankful for my car. I was thankful for a house. I was thankful for food, right? And then I like, found a couple different ways to be thankful for food. And I was specific enough that they were different, right? But it started, I was all the low-hanging fruit, right? And he said, but something happened about 600, 700. All of a sudden, I began to notice God in places I didn't expect God to be. And then I began to be thankful for the ways that he was there, not just what he did or what he gave me. Not just the stuff, but his presence. He said, I, I begin to notice God in an argument with my spouse or intense fellowship, if you prefer. He said, I begin to notice God there because what happened is reconciliation came between us. And I was like, yo, God is a God of reconciliation. And, and I was sitting over here feeling ashamed that I was arguing with my spouse, but that became a redemptive moment they begin to see God. Or I was at a restaurant and I saw excellent service. I went to Discount Tire and got excellent service, right? And it reminded me that God is a God of excellence, God of service, that I could serve others that way. And, and it begins to change. And so what will happen, if you will stick with this practice, is you will have to slow down enough that you see not just God's presence, stuff, but you begin to see God's presence, all around you. So this week, when you're tempted to be busy or hurried or rushed, would you ask this question? God, where are you? God, where are you at right now? Where can I see you in this moment? And you'll be amazed at what happens. It'll blow you away. So this week, I want to encourage you. Family is more slow than fast. It's more about presence than presence. And number three, family is more about being than doing. The family is more about being than doing. Let us never forget that we are not human doings. We're human beings. That God created us to be, not just to do. In fact, that the doing that we do ought to flow out of our being. But sometimes we just say, forget being. I need to go and do. 
and our ambition sabotages us. Our desire for more sabotages us. Our discontentment sabotages us. And we go, if I can just do a little bit more, if I could just get a little bit more money, a little bit another promotion, if I could do a few, serve in a few more ways, then surely God is going to do a little bit more for me. <laughs> you know what it is? It's the second son in the story of the prodigal son. We talked about it last week. Two, the, the father has two sons. One takes his money. Dad, I wish you were dead, right? Runs off, spends all the money, and then comes back. And dad doesn't cancel his son, even though his son tried to cancel him. But there was a second son in that story. And we didn't read it last week, but it goes on in Luke 15. And the second son, he comes back from the field where he's been faithfully working. And he sees that his dad is throwing a party for the son who's come back. And he gets upset about it. And he says, dad, what are you doing? I have been here all of these years, faithfully serving. And never once have you given me a cow so I can have a party with my friends. And then this joker goes off, wastes everything, wishes you were dead, dishonors our family, wastes all the money, comes back, begs for a job, and you make him a son again. You know what the, you know what the dad tells him? It's a Mackey International version. You can go read it later. But Luke 15, the dad says, my son, everything I have is yours. Do you think that, that, that if you do enough, then I'm going to give you the party? No, you've missed it. Everything I have is already yours. And when we get wrapped up in doing, we, we get wrapped up and we buy the lie that if I do more for God, he'll love me more. Story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, the second brother, and all of scripture points to one true idea that there is nothing that you can ever do that will make God love you any more or any less than he already does. The fullness of God's love is already for you, not a thing you can do to change it. That's good news. What do we stand on? What do we give the world that that you don't have to do? but come and receive what you can't afford to buy. Come and receive what you don't deserve. That's grace. Isaiah, the prophet, talks about it. Oh, that's good news. So I want to encourage us. Let's not forget that we are human beings, not just human doings. Sometimes we just got to be quiet before God. That we've got to be quiet. Oh, we get so busy doing we don't want to be quiet. We're vacuuming. We put, on the, we put in the AirPods. We're driving. We listen to the podcast. Sometimes we worship. We do good things. Because some of us, we're driving. We're worshiping. Like, yo, you need to put your hands back on the wheel. You can worship with the hands on the wheels. That's okay, right? Keep your hands right here on Sunday morning. Keep your hands right here while you're worshiping in the car, okay? Anyway, and so, but we, we get so loud all the time that we forget to be quiet. We can't go running without listening to something. We don't want to listen to the sound of our knee cartilage crunching. I mean, the rocks crunching under our shoes as we're running. We want to listen to music. But there's something powerful when we will be quiet. Here's what Adele Calhoun says in the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. It says, silence offers a way of paying attention to the Spirit of God and what he brings to the surface of our souls. In quietness, we often notice things that we would rather not notice or feel. Pockets of sadness or anger or loneliness or impatience begin to surface. Our own outer agenda looms larger than our desire to be with God 
in silence. I'm convinced one of the reasons that we do so much and we forget to be is because when we make that choice to be quiet before God, God begins to bring to the surface stuff that we don't want him to bring to the surface. He goes, look, I love you enough to bring this anger up to the surface so that we can bring healing right here. God say, I love you enough that I'm gonna bring to the surface that loneliness because I want you to know there's a community around you of brothers and sisters. They're not perfect, but they'll love you. They'll welcome you in, right? Bring to the surface stuff. And sometimes we don't want that. We're like, God, I'm good. But here's what happens. We talk about it all the time. When you open your hands, God brings to the surface things that he can take away that are harmful and that he can give and keep what is good. But when we hold on tight to the noise, to the doing, well, then we can't get to a place of being, right? If you're gripping, you're tripping. Got to have those open hands, right? Here's a, a spiritual practice and help you have open hands and be quiet before God. It's called the prayer of examine. And uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, kind of put this together. It's an ancient prayer. Throughout the tradition of Christianity, Christians around the world have been praying the prayer of examine each day. And, and in its most simplest form, there are really five steps. One is that you would begin by becoming aware of God's presence in your life. At the end of the day, uh, whether you're on your couch, on your porch, at some place you would pause and you would just breathe. And you would recognize that God is all around. He is in and through and around me. That God is everywhere. And that even in this place that does not feel holy, that feels altogether ordinary, that God is there with you. And there in that moment, then you just begin to think through the day and review it in gratitude, that practice of saying thank you. And you just begin to go, God, I just want to see, God, would you open up my eyes that I could see all of the places that you were at work that I didn't even notice. We sang earlier that even when I don't feel it, you're working. God, would you help me see those places? And as you're doing that, you just begin to pay attention to your emotions, now, I know, fellas, that emotion, that can sound like a cuss word to you, right? But it's okay to have feelings. God gave them to you, all right? Begin to go, what are, what, what's going on inside of me? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? How, what, what's, the, what's, like, what's the reaction in me, right? Like you drop Alka-Seltzer into the soda water and it explodes. Like when this gets dropped, what stirs up inside of me, right? And then you begin to pray about that. You go, okay, God, like, what's happening here? Man, I was really, really thankful for this. What's stirring deep in me? God, would you help me see what I don't see? Would you speak to me in ways that I don't quite understand? And then finally, um, you just look forward to tomorrow. And maybe you would pray like John led us to pray in all of 2020. Lord, would you include me in what you're doing tomorrow? Would you include me in what you're doing? And what this practice does is allows us to get to a place where we can be quiet before God and be reminded that we're human beings, not doings, that we can go and be uh, quiet before God. Very quickly, uh, as we were reminded, when we get busy, we go, look, I gotta be, what does it mean to be? I wanna be content. I'm convinced that so much of our discontentment comes from our doing. If I do more, I'll be more satisfied. It's always a lie. Right? How much money is enough money? Just one more dollar. 
How many of us who found some success in business, can you remember back? I remember my first job, I made $900 a month and I thought I was rich, right? I thought I was making, I had that college degree, boy. Boom, $900 and I get to work out for free like I was somebody, right? Right? And then all of a sudden you get a next job and you think, I'm going to be, I'm making twice this. And you think you'd be so rich. And then what happens? Man, I really need to make a little bit more money. So you go get the next job. Look at how much money I'm making. I'm never going to want for my, I'm going to be rich for a couple months. It's never quite enough, right? So much of our discontentment, because we're doing, doing. We think that if we get more stuff, we'll have more strength to endure whatever comes our way, Right? That's the picture of of retirement, right? I'm not knocking retirement. It's important. But the idea is if I save a bunch of money now, then when I get to retirement and I stop working, I can keep having my lifestyle. I can have strength through the new situation because I saved up a bunch earlier. But God's economy works a little bit different. Listen to the Apostle Paul. I want you to listen for where strength comes from. Strength's relationship to stuff. Paul in Philippians 4 and verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That my strength and my contentment comes from being with God. I don't care how much stuff I have, how well-prepared I am right? The size of my nest egg does not give me strength. My strength comes from God. And when that happens, you can be content no matter what happens around. Oh, but we must be with God. And that's the final encouragement I give you as we talk about being a human being and not a human doing. Never forget that God wants to be with you. Don't rush through the quiet time. Verse a day to keep the devil away. Got to keep my Bible app streak going. It's not about the streak. It's not about being better than your accountability partner, even though that is a totally holy and legit reason to keep reading. God wants to be with you, not just in the moments, but always. Because he loves you. He really loves you. Just like you want to be with your kids. Because they're yours. You love them. Don't rush through bedtime. Don't rush through a conversation. They're going to show you something they made. Boy, you treat it like you're walking through the Louvre. Is that the fancy museum over in like Paris or something? You're just going to stroll through and take it. You can tell I'm real cultured. Anyway, so you take your time walking through it. Looking at it like it's abstract. art. like, look, I don't know why this is worth a million dollars, but somebody told me it was. Look, man, I'm right here with you. God wants to be with you like that. Listen, friends, we're going to be tempted to be busy this week, to be hurried and rushed. And we're going to have things to do, important things to do. But when you do them, do them in such a way that it helps you be who God has created you to be. That'd be the question I'd challenge you to ask. How can I do this in a way that helps me be better? Got to go to work 40 hours. Boy, you work in such a way that helps you be who God has created you to be. But you work in such a way that you can be with God even as you teach those kids. That you can be with God even as you strive for that promotion. That you would be content even as you do it. 
that you would be silent to listen to God, even as you are leading and speaking and, and, and moving people, that you would be quiet enough in your heart to hear from God as you go. Oh, that's good news. Listen, friends, we'll be tempted this week to be busy and hurried and rushed. But when we do, let's remember what matters most. We don't need more time. We need to slow down and orient our lives around what matters most. And family matters. Forget about me. I love you. I can't do it if I'm fast. Got to be slow. I can't do it right, if I'm discontent. I can't do it if I'm more, if I'm not interested in God's presence. Can't do it if I'm a doer, not a beer.